Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 12. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 12 uh, this morning. Again, thank you so much for being here and just taking a a part of your Sunday to worship with us. Uh, As Jackie said earlier, this last week was vacation Bible school. Great time. Over 300 little children running around our church and over 100 volunteers. And so if you were a part of that, we are so appreciative of the work that you did and the volunteering that you did. It was a great time. Earlier, uh, I'd say like a month ago, Rebecca, our children's minister, she asked Pastor David and I if we would participate in family night. Family night is that one night out of Vacation Bible School in which all of the, the kids' families are invited here to the church. And, and we have hot dogs, hamburgers, we, we play some games, there's music, the kids kind of show off for their parents. And then, and then we invite them to church. So it's a great time. And of course, Pastor David and I were like, yes, we would, we would love to be a part of that, right? She said, you're going to play some games on the stage. And that, that, that made me a little nervous, but we were like, okay, fine. You know, we want to do whatever it is. And, and I've got to admit this, it sort of, it, it evolved. The, the request, as requests from children's ministers often do, started real small and then, and then it grew. And uh, so at first what she said was that you and David are going to come up on stage and y'all are going to compete against one another in these vacation Bible school Games. They're kind of like minute-to-win-it games. And so we thought, okay, yeah, that's fine. That will be great. Then uh, a couple weeks passed, and and it changed again. She said, this time, what's going to happen is you're going to come on stage, and I was a part of this part. You're going to come on stage, and then we would recruit a a child to come on the stage with us, right? And then we would would be two teams, and we would compete against one another. That sounds fun, right? And that's what we were going to do. Until moments before family night, she said, okay, it's changed again. This time, you and David are going to be on a team, and then we're going to get some kids, and they're going to come up, and they're going to be on a team as well. All right, I have to admit, I was a little confused, but I want to participate. I want to help. And they've been playing the games, and so that's what happened. We went on the stage. It was our time to come out. We went out here. We were on stage. We were over here. And they went out into the audience and grabbed uh, two little girls, all right? These two girls that were so happy. They were raising their hands, and, and they volunteered, and they brought them up on stage. And then Rebecca and Courtney explained the rules to us. This is how these games will play. We're going to play two games. We're going to compete. And then she said, go. And I, I got to tell you, we crushed them. We just— <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they just barely competed with us. I mean, it was, um, it was a little bit embarrassing, but um, I mean, it's just what it was. I mean, some people think that males and females should compete, but I, I said there's a clear advantage on the male side of what was going on over here. After we played the games, we went outside and we were having the hot dogs and hamburgers, and Jackie walks up to me and she says, she looks at me, you're my loving wife, she goes, what is wrong with you? I said, what are you talking about? I thought she'd be proud. I won, right? And she goes, you're supposed to like drag it on, make it a competition, or I don't know, let them win. You know, that kind of thing. And I was like, never crossed my mind. (laughs) At no point did I ever think to myself, 
we should, we should make this. And so, but I started to feel a little bad, right? Because she was, she was trying to make me feel bad. And so I started to feel bad and I, I found David and I was like, hey, did you think that we should maybe have let them win? Did you think that, but you just didn't tell me? And he goes, why would we do that? If you step into the ring, you better be ready to fight. So you just can't hold back greatness. That's, uh, that's what happened that night. It was not fair. It was not fair on any regard. And man, I feel bad. Having, if I did it over again, I would let them win. But I just, I never once thought about it. But they were good sports about it. They, they seemed happy, and I think they're happy. I, I, hope that, I hope that they're happy that they played in the game. But it just was not fair. You ever get into a moment in your life in which you feel like it's not fair? Like you're competing and things are just not going your way. Maybe you're just trying to enjoy your life. Or maybe you're trying to be faithful and responsible in what it is that God called you to do. And you think the deck is stacked against you. You're not getting a fair shake. You know, that sort of stuff. Maybe you're competing against adult males in a minute to win it game. That sort of thing. Maybe you feel like things are not going your way. I got a couple of examples here. See if any of these sort of resonate with you. Raise your hand if you ever feel like your favorite college athletic program is never getting fair SEC officiating. Does that ever happen to you? Okay, yeah. I know it does. Is this when we call the hogs? Um, because y'all cause SEC officiating to trend on Twitter every single time y'all play. So sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like it's not fair. Texas is going to be in the SEC. You just pay them more, y'all. That's all you have to do is just pay the refs more. Or have you ever felt like at work there's a situation that's not fair? You ever felt like you got passed up on a promotion because you're not the right demographic or you're not related to the boss? It's not fair. That doesn't work, does it? Or maybe some other kid is really excelling in grades in your class, but you feel like it's not fair because maybe their parents can afford a tutor and and you can't, and y'all have to go, you have to, you have to get a job after school, that sort of stuff, and it's harder for you. Some of you have suffered the loss of a loved one, maybe a child or a spouse. And in your most vulnerable moments, as you sit there and as you think about it, you think honestly to yourself that life just isn't fair. The reality is that we've all been in spots. And maybe you're in a, a spot right now, maybe you're in a space right now in which you feel like Life ain't fair. In fact, maybe as, as a bit of camaraderie and uh, therapy here for a second, I'm going to say life ain't fair, and then I want you to repeat it, okay? I want you to repeat it like you believe it, because I know you do. All right, I'll go first, and then you repeat after me. Life ain't fair. Life ain't fair. That's right. And, you know, here's the truth. It ain't. Life isn't fair. Would it surprise you to find out that some of the biblical authors agree with you They've even expressed similar feelings that life is not fair. Job wrestled with it in Job chapter 12 and verse 21. The psalmist tried to understand it in Psalms 37, 49, and 73. And other prophets besides Jeremiah also expressed similar feelings with this problem in Habakkuk 1, Malachi 2 verse 17, and Malachi 3 verse 15. The Bible seems to agree with you and me that life ain't fair. It's just not fair. So what do we do? What do we do in those moments in which we feel like life isn't going our way? How do we pray through that? How do we think about that? How do we take the next step? By looking at Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we can sort of get some insight. We can see and we can study that. And then the next time 
in the next moments in which you feel like life isn't fair, maybe this will be some encouragement to you to know what to do in those moments. Let's pray together and then we'll take a look at the text. God, thank you for this encouragement. Thank you for all the ways in which in the which you, you step into those dark moments where we feel like life isn't fair. God, I pray today that we would leave here today with a, a broader perspective on what is fair, what is just, and, and how it is that we might respond to those things. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the church. Thank you for scripture. Open our minds and our hearts to change where it is we need to change. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So Jeremiah chapter 12, you're probably already there. I'm going to read to you the second part of verse 1 down to the first part of verse 3. We call that 1B to 3A. Y'all ready? Here's what it says. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous live at ease? You planted them and they have taken root. They have grown and produced fruit. You are ever on their lips, but far from their conscience. As for you, Lord, you know me. You see me. You You test whether my heart is with you. The context of what's going on here in this text right here is that Jeremiah, just the chapter before in chapter 11, has preached the message that God has given Jeremiah to preach. God told Jeremiah, I want you to go to this people and say this. Jeremiah does it, and the people respond with a death threat. The people say, you better hush, or we're going to kill you. This really bothers Jeremiah the same way that it would bother any of us. But it's not just that the people are responding to his faithfulness with opposition, with, um, with discouragement, with undermining, and, 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 and the division there. It seems to Jeremiah, if you were going to listen to Jeremiah, it seems to him that God is on their side. Jeremiah feels like this just isn't fair. In fact, let's look at some of what Jeremiah says here. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous live at ease? The word prosper there is interesting. If you look at what's called the etymology, like, like uh, if, you, if you went way back in history and saw how that word developed, way back in history, the seed of the word prosper is the word that means to set on fire to set ablaze, that, that, that these people, according to Jeremiah's perspective, they were setting the world on fire. You ever try to start a fire? Maybe a campfire or maybe a fire in your living room, something like that, in a fireplace, not just in the middle of your living room, um, but in a fireplace. And, and so you, you get the sticks together, you get the kindling, maybe some newspaper, and you try to light it. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, the best of us, the Boy Scouts in our midst have some struggles on occasion. But if you are outside, not in your living room, and you put some lighter fluid on that, right? Maybe just a little bit, maybe just a lot, you know, something like that for the fun of it. And you throw that match in there, it's so easy. It burns so fast. Jeremiah looks the life of other people and he says everything they do is easy it's just easy like they start this business and it explodes or they go to school and and their grades just work out or or they're on the team and it just seems like all the recruits want to look at them or all the recruiters want to look at them and everything is just going in their way everything is going they have they have an um, easy time with romantic relationships and easy time it seems like they just walk with the lord we look at other people and we think everything is easy for these people and yet these people he calls evil he calls them treacherous they're not even walking with god and for some reason their life is easy look what else he says in verse two he says you planted them and they have taken root they have grown and produced fruit 
what Jeremiah thinks is that these people are not only having the easy life, living on easy street, but God is on their side. That he has planted them, that he has nurtured them. The idea is this wild, beautiful, cared for, nurtured garden. Jeremiah looks at all these people that have this easy life, and he's like, you're helping them. They don't even love you, and you are helping them. They don't walk with you. They don't go to church. They don't tithe. They don't read their Bible, and you are on their side. It reminds me of Psalms chapter 1, verse 3. This is what David wrote. He said, he, this is talking about a happy person, a blessed person. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Describing this person that is just in love with God, that listens to the, the uh, commands and the attributes and the instructions of God, their lives prosper like this, like this garden, like this tree that is planted beside a river. Jeremiah sees these other people that are evil, they're treacherous, but they're living the, the blessed life, the happy life. Never says that. Jeremiah says, that's not fair. A couple houses down uh, from where I live, there is um, Bruce. Bruce lives, and his yard is perfect. It's perfect. The grass is the perfect height. It's perfectly trimmed. It's all perfectly green. There's no patches in this grass. When you drive by, the very first thing you think of when you see that yard is, there lives a retired person. And then you think, who knows how to nurture their yard, you know? He just knows how to do it. He just... For whatever reason, his yard is always, all year long, perfect. It's nurtured. That's the way that Jeremiah thought that these people's lives were. Looked over at their lives, looked over at their marriages, looked over at their homes and their children and their, and their careers and thought, God is nurturing those people. And that ain't fair. It's not right. He says that they are bearing fruit. But according to the text, I don't know what kind of fruit they're bearing. I don't, I don't know. And I like that it's left open open-ended because for all of us the the idea the fruit that might cause envy in our lives is different you might look at somebody and you say well they got all the looks i mean they just float through life because they're good looking because they're attractive people just listen to them they get promotions they get they, they have romantic relationships even even uh friendship relationships just because they're good looking or or you might look at somebody else and say that they they have all the money they just everything they touches turns to gold they can make money or they were born into money that sort of idea they have influence you don't know why it is you don't know what it is about this person but they can just walk into a room command an audience and people start listening that fruit that seems to be bearing in their lives it causes us this concern it causes us envy it causes us pain jeremiah saw and he saw all of that sort of stuff in their lives you ever wrestle with that? You ever see other people who seem to be living on easy street? And you wonder to yourself, like, God, I'm, I'm living the right life here. I'm doing what you commanded me to do. I'm doing what my student minister told me. I'm doing what the pastor said, what the small group said. I'm doing all this sort of stuff, and, and yet I'm still single. And, and these people, they've got a great relationship. They've got a good marriage, this sort of stuff. I just really struggle with this idea, this fruit that is bearing in other people's lives. That's how Jeremiah saw other people. He says, God, they're on easy street and you're helping them. And then he, for just a moment, turns his attention on himself. Look at verse 3. As for you, Lord, you know me, you see me, you test whether my heart is with you. Emphasis on the testing. He's pointing out that God has put him through it, testing him. The way I read it is like Jeremiah is saying, you are over here scrutinizing my ticket 
and you just let them on the ride with no tickets. You're over here making sure that I'm living the right life. You're over here making sure that I'm doing everything right, and they just seem to have it easy. It's not like um, an eye test. You know, you go to the eye test, the eye doctor, you sit there and you read on a screen. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about like, like a heart test, like run on this treadmill and get all of these machines hooked up to you. It's hard. It's exhausting. Makes you tired. You ever feel like living the good life is that way? Just to be honest, like we're not complaining here. We would never complain to God. But in our own hearts and in our own minds, do you ever feel like the straight and narrow is hard? It's hard to live like this. It's hard to get up and pray, to read your Bible, to shut your mouth when your mouth should be shut, to open your mouth when your mouth should be open, to go to university, to live around that culture, to be around uh, different people who seem to have no restraints on their lives, and yet you're trying to live the way that you know that God wants you to live, to, to live that sort of life, to be in your work, to be in an industry, certain industries, it's almost like dishonesty and deceit is part of the game. And if you don't play that game, you're just not going to excel. It's hard. Living the right life, being what God called you to do is just hard. It's just difficult. Just the other day I was working in my yard trying to make it look as nice as Bruce's, right, you know? And I had to change the weed eater line in the weed eater. And, and that's, that's a challenge sometimes. There's all kinds of tricks, and I still just do it the old way. And I had sweat in my eyes because I'm bald, and nothing is soaking that up, and it's just flowing down. And I'm shoving this thing in there, and, and I'm trying to work on it. And there's grass everywhere. I'm tired. I'm hot. The sun is killing me. And I, I try to push that, uh, that spool in there, and it pops out, and it fell to the ground. And instantly, all of the line that I had wrapped around there just unwraps, and it goes everywhere. And in my frustration, I just look down and go, why does everything have to be hard? You know, just me in the garage and the weed eater just talking, you know. You ever feel that way? I mean, be honest. You ever look at your child, which you love, and you think, why are you so difficult? Right? Or your spouse, you have a phone call with her or with him, and you're like, yeah, sure, that'll work great. And then you hang up and you go, oh, drive me crazy. I love you so much. I want to run away. <laughs> Same thing, your work. You're like, I was supposed to be here for five years and then get a promotion. I was going to do this. Didn't work out. I was supposed to have this uh, degree plan, and then they changed it. The professor left. The coach that I came here to play for is gone now. It's just everything is difficult. And it just adds up and adds up and adds up and adds up and adds up. And one day, the, the coupon that you had at the store is expired, and now you're just going to lose it <laughs> on this person. Why is everything hard? First, like, I don't know. I mean, it's like three cents, man. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Jeremiah looked at his life, and he said, this is not I'm doing exactly what you told me to do, literally saying the words you told me to say. It's not going my way. I want to point out that God is not mad that Jeremiah brings his complaints to God. There's no part in this text where God's like, hey, caete, no complaining. Don't bring that over here. You keep that over there. There's no part where he says that. In fact, God listens. I want to encourage you when you when you're in these spots, when you're in this darkness, you come to God with open hands and open mind, and you say, listen, I don't understand this. I'm going to lay it out, and I know I'm missing something, but I don't understand this because life just isn't fair. So can I offer you a few life lessons 
about an unfair life. In those moments when you think that life is not, uh, life's not fair, let me give you a few encouragements. Now, I know that some of you are older than me, um, and so these life lessons may sound a bit ridiculous, but somebody that was 71 came up to me after the first service and said, all these life lessons are right on, so you have to listen to her, all right? And if you're younger than me, I'm older than you. Listen, all right? Here's the first lesson. Here's what I notice about Jeremiah. There is too much focus on them. Too much focus on them. It leaps off the page. Jeremiah is in this moment of fixating on other people. He is concerned with their life, their possessions, their ease of life. He wants to know why God is being kind to them and not himself. Why is he making life good for those guys? He's zeroed in on what's going on in someone else's house. And that just ain't none of his business. I'm telling you, I know our eyes are focused out and that's why we fall into this trap all the time. We see other people's relationships. We see other people's work careers. We see other people's houses. And we focus in on that and what we think we know about that, we begin to think that life isn't fair. How many of the conflicts in your life happen because you've started comparing yourself to some other coworker and you're thinking, I should have it that way. I should have that promotion. I should have that position i should have that salary or that office or whatever it is how many relational conflicts and stressors happen because you start looking at somebody else's relationship their friendship their marriage their parenting and you think i should have it that way it should be this way i'm doing it the right way and life is not fair look what we can clearly see in jeremiah's life here is there's just too much focus on other people here's what the word of god says galatians 6 4 through 5 let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Hear that again. This is what the Word of God says. Stop comparing yourself to other people. It's in the Greek, but it says, because you don't know, you don't know. Verse 5, for each person will have to carry his own load. James says that being focused on others is destructive. James 3.16, this is what it says. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. So you worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. That's the first life lesson. When, when life seems to be getting really hard, and man, I, when it's unfair, you're sitting there, you're thinking, you're talking to your friend, your pastor, your mentor, your, your spouse. Go ahead and say it. That's what, I, that's what I encourage people to say. Just go ahead and say it. Say it like, I'm not going to judge you, just say it all. And then at the end of that, you got to realize you can't compare yourself to other people. It just doesn't work. First life lesson, stop comparing yourself to other people. Second life lesson is life isn't fair, but reality is. Another way to say it, life isn't fair, but eternity is. The truth is that no one gets away with anything. Not the evil, not the treacherous, not you, not Jeremiah, not David, not me. No one gets away with anything. The Bible is clear that ultimately God punishes the wicked and rewards the just. Psalms 37, 38, but the transgressors will all be eliminated and the future of the wicked will be destroyed. 1 Peter 3, verse 12, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but... The face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. It may feel like it when they don't get fired or when they get a promotion or when their life goes a little bit better or they, or they trade in their truck or they get a bigger house or, or whatever it is. It may feel like those who are walking away from God 
or living the easy life. But in the end, no one gets away with anything. Oscar Wilde once wrote, when the gods want to punish us, they answer our prayers. There's a lot I would disagree with on Oscar Wilde there, uh, not the least of which is there's only one true God, all right? But the sentiment is there. That sometimes we pray for things, we want things so desperately in our lives that seem like a blessing, but in the end, God knows. God knows what you need. He knows whom you should marry. He knows where you should work and where you should live. He knows all the things you don't know, some of which are the pain that you would have gone through had he given you the thing you thought you wanted but didn't need. God knows and no one gets away with anything. So first of all, stop focusing on other people. Life isn't fair, but reality is. But I want to encourage you in this way to say that God punishes the unrighteous, that no one gets away with anything. And that should be somewhat encouraging until you think about it for a little while. Because you're like, no one gets away with anything. That's right. Because those people at work, man, they need it. My in-laws, God's going to get them. Start thinking about all that until you start thinking, but wait a minute, I'm a no one. I'm a someone. So the question would be, what is it that you're going to get got on? What are you going to get got with? Because here's the third lesson. Life is not easy or life is unfair. And you want it that way. Life is not fair. And we don't want life to be fair. See, the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the reward for sin, the fair reward for your rebellion is death. That you are guilty and deserve to die. That you deserve, because of your rebellion, because of your sin, because of the way that you've tried to pretend like you are the own, your own God of your own life, you deserve eternity separated from God in eternal torment in a very real place that we call hell. But the Bible also says that God, while we were yet sinners, loved us and Christ died for us. Life isn't fair. You know what's not fair? Jesus didn't do anything. Jesus was innocent. Jesus is perfect, spotless, sinless lamb took all of my debt on him. That ain't fair. And I need it that way. I need life to ultimately not be fair. Because if it were fair, I would owe a debt I can't pay. There'd be a price that I can't pay. There would be some sort of punishment that I can't bear. I need life to be unfair. I need Jesus to take that penalty. And so do you. The Bible says that if you will trust and believe him, then your debt is paid. He will cover the cost. And you will live free with him. So when you think deeply, life isn't fair, it has a ring of truth to it because it is true. The problem, though, is that it focuses on other people in an unhealthy way. It is too narrow in scope, and it assumes that we would actually want life to be fair, but we don't. We want grace, and we need it. So we've looked at Jeremiah's situation. We've thought about life isn't fair and what that actually means to us. And so if I could, I'm just going to give you three really quick things. These are very quick, how to respond to this. The first one is to thank God that life isn't fair. 
praise him. Praise him now. Praise him in the next few moments. When Rich comes out and he starts to sing, you sing as a person who recognizes that I'm a sinner in need of grace and he gave me that grace. Grace. The word grace isn't fair. It means it's not fair. The second thing is not only praise God because life isn't fair, but be unfair yourself. You go out and treat everybody unfair on the side of grace. Go be unfair with grace. The same way that God has bestowed grace on you, has given you grace and mercy, you go give other people grace and mercy. But here's the kicker. Keep this in mind. In order for you to give grace to other people, you're going to need to be wronged. Like, you want to be a gracious person. The only way that you give grace to other people is when they've wronged you and you respond in love. When they've hurt you and you respond in kindness. Sometimes we encourage one another to be gracious and be gracious in your life. And sometimes I can feel it. I can hear it in your minds and in your heart. You say, but you don't understand. She said this. You don't understand. He did X, Y, Z. To which I am telling you, you don't understand. That's what grace is. You have to be wronged in order, in order to extend grace. So thank God that life isn't fair. Be unfair on the side of grace. And then third, let God settle the score. Life isn't fair, and it's not your job to make it fair. You can't even do that. You don't have the ability to do that. Ultimately, no one gets away with anything. We need to deeply pray for our enemies. We need to, we need to compassionately and, and with integrity pray that our enemies, that those who would hurt us, that those who would harm us would come to know Jesus as their Savior and that they would spend eternity with their God. We need to pray that. We also need to take rest in knowing that ultimately all people will come to a reckoning before, the God, before God the judge. And you either stand there in your own merit, which is not enough, or you stand there trusting Jesus, which is the only way to do it. In 2005, Staples, the office supply company, y'all remember them? They're still around. I feel like they go bankrupt every couple months, but they're still around. They ran a campaign ad for one of these. Y'all remember this guy? Remember the easy button? It was 2005 when this launched. The original uh, commercial, the original campaign, uh, I, I watched it this week. It's kind of cute. This guy, he's, he's trying to change two baby diapers at the same time. Why you would want to do that, I don't know. But that's what he had to do. Maybe it's twins. You know, he's got to change these two diapers. And then it, it flashes over to this kid sitting in a math class. He's not paying attention. Teacher calls on him. Ask him for the answer. And he's obviously, I don't know the answer to this. It switches over to a cowboy that's standing there next to a horse that's broken this, and this Bronco that's out there just ripping and tearing and snorting, and, it, and it's implied that he's going to have to break that horse. All of this is happening, and they all reach for the easy button, you know? That was easy. They reach for that, they push that button, and everything goes easy. The horse is broke, the diapers have changed, the math problem is right there. At one point, there's a surgeon about to make this really complex surgery. The nurse looks over and goes, have you ever done that? And he goes, no, not a problem. And then he walks out, you know. It's an easy button. When they started this campaign in 2005, when they first launched those commercials, they had no intention of making this button. It wasn't, they, this, you couldn't go to Staples and buy this button. It was just, it was a joke. It was just a pretend button on a commercial. But customers started calling and they called and they called and called. And finally, Staples decided that it was going to start making one of these buttons that you could buy. And since that time, Staples has sold over 8 million buttons for 9 dollars 
eight million buttons that don't do anything for $10. Why? Why does America buy these buttons and the rest of the junk that we buy? But why? Because deep down, we want life to be easier or at least not as hard, not as unfair. We want to push a button and it all just makes sense to us to immediately balance the scales, to immediately make it fair. But you and I both know life ain't fair and it's not ever going to be fair. We can't change that. But what we can do is change the way that we see it, change the beauty that we see in it and the ultimate good that we find in it. Life isn't fair, but it's worth it. I want to leave you with this quote. Paul wrote this. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows in the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.